that sometimes what people feel and the symptoms that show up is different sometimes. That's where the trick is like, okay, do you follow what the body says or do you listen to the patient? I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. I get it wrong a lot. The first draft is generally garbage and it struggles for coherence. The business idea that I thought would be a shortcut to more time and profit or the job that I thought was perfect and I found out all the ways it was not. I reflect on the first steps of a path thinking they'll take me somewhere completely different from where I've ended up or returned to. There are times I wonder why I'm not living on the street in rags given how often I've been wrong about things. Perhaps I've been lucky or made enough good decisions to outweigh the bad ones, or maybe there really are guardian angels, and mine most assuredly has earned his wings. One thing for sure, things rarely work out the way that I expect them to. I've acquired a deep respect for the uncertain nature of the world. At times, it does freeze me in fear, and in other moments, it's a liberation from the narrowness of my own vision and imagination. So much in life looks linear, but you probably already know from your experience that is unsettlingly not the case. Life is entangled and complex, deeply uncertain and changing, and yet there are patterns. Our medicine offers a pattern language that can help us to track change while in the midst of change. I try to use it to see if I can glimpse the future, but I find it works better if I use it to see more coherently into the present. For example, I find it's more helpful if I can see not just dampness in a patient, but specifically at what level that dampness is and how it interacts with my patient's constitution, the story that they tell about themselves, the pivotal moments in their life that has them tripping over trauma or more deeply anti-fragile because they've healed into a more resilient version of themselves. Perhaps like me, you've wanted to be of help, but unsure of the course to steer. After all, a diagnosis for us is not a set in stone pronouncement of something immutably true. It's a hypothesis, an educated guess that sets us off on a voyage of discovery with our patients. And as I said a moment ago, much like the rest of life, I get it wrong a lot. I think about the people I've seen in clinic where I was sure I was treating an excess condition, but then they get off the table more stiff and less range of motion, and I realize they needed support and consolidation, not dispersing in movement. You can't argue with the results of a treatment. It will show you reality if you have the gumption to look. I like being right. It feels good, but I suspect that being accurate is more helpful than being right. Right? Wrong? There's so much emotional entanglement that goes with those words. Our patients spend a tiny slice of their lives with us. They come with hopes and expectations that we might never fully understand. And there are tender aspects of them that they themselves don't quite yet know how to hold. They may have arrived in your office thinking they're on the path to getting their heart's desire, but really they're to release a troublesome yet comforting limiting aspect of themselves. It's curious to me how often our experience and the stories that we fuel our lives with are like an iceberg, mostly submerged below the world of language in which we live. 
as doctors, we're supposed to know what is wrong and how to fix it. Sometimes it's not difficult, but I find more often we are guides with an incomplete map, a mostly reliable compass, and a cloud-obstructed sky that doesn't always give a complete view of the stars. We get glimpses, sometimes inspiration, but things rarely go the way that we first imagined. There are no guarantees. And that's not a fault of ours. We are always operating with incomplete information, and our map of the world is consistently being redrawn. If clinic has taught me anything, it's taught me that I'm always operating with an incomplete picture, and rarely do I understand the tectonic forces that have shaped my patients' lives. But I do get a moment at times to inquire and puzzle, and get friendly with being wrong and staying present enough to ask, what else is there about that? And pausing in the unknowing long enough to hear a reply, it helps to navigate the uncertainty. How about you? How do you navigate those moments of realizing things are not as you expected? These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. 
Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office, and I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code CHEOLOGICAL at the time of sign-up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Sleep, the deep restoration yin of the daily cycle of life, is a problem for many of our patients. Perhaps for you as well. In a moment, we'll be getting into a conversation with Damiana Korka and get some new perspectives on how we can use Chinese medicine to help our patients with getting a restful night's sleep. Let's get into this conversation with Damiana Korka. Damiana Korka, how are you? I am doing great. How about you? Welcome to Geological. I'm doing wonderful. You and I sat down for a conversation, I don't know, five years ago-ish? Back on Everyday Acupuncture, we talked about sleep. I think you were just getting started with that whole deep dive that you've taken into sleep. Yeah, a couple of years in, I believe. Yeah. And here we are again, years down the road, and you're still investigating sleep. I am still investigating sleep. That is a good way of putting it. Yeah, I'm still um, helping people sleep better, still learning still discovering new ways to look at it and help people sleep better. Yeah, it's such an important aspect of our lives. I mean, it's a total cliche to say that sleep is important. We know that. And yet it can be a really difficult issue Yeah, when things go off the rails. I'd love to start with how you got started with working with sleep. I mean, what drew you to that? Yeah, I think it was just my patients a couple of years into my practice as an acupuncturist. I noticed that a lot of my patients have sleep issues. And I still remember, I think it was maybe 2011, I was talking to a friend. And I remember I was in my bedroom talking on the phone. I just had this thought like, oh my gosh, a lot of my patients have sleep issues. What if I just kind of went that way? And I laughed because I thought as an acupuncturist, we don't specialize so it felt to me back then, it's like such a singular thing. And, but then it couldn't, we, we wouldn't leave my mind. So I just kind of little by little explored it more and more and more and more people came and I've learned more. And in the last maybe, I don't know, seven ish years, that's been my primary 
really all of my patients that come in, they have a sleep problem as the primary complaint. And then, of course, they may have other issues that they complain about, but sleep is the main one. That's the main one. I'm struck by what you said. You're talking to a friend, they say something, and this little thing arises in you. Like, oh, maybe this is something. That little nudge, those little nudges in life are so interesting to me. I find so many moments. It's not the big like thunderclap, oh, this is the thing. Those never work out for me. Anytime I've had this like giant, big, oh yeah, this is going to be great, and I go for it, it never works out. It's always those little, like out of left field, like, hmm, yeah, I wonder about this. Yeah, just a random late afternoon laying in my bed, in my bedroom, making fun of it in a sense, but also realizing, wow, this could be something. And also... I don't remember many, many moments of my life, many and some important moments uh, for whatever reason, but I somehow remember that one stayed with me yes. until now. And of course, after you tell the story a few times, then it never leaves. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, Of course. So I remember being in Chinese medicine school. It's so crazy. That was like a long time ago, but I still remember so many of the experiences of being in school. And one of the things that I thought was so cool is when we were talking about sleep, like all the things that we can do to help with sleep. And then things like the Chinese clock and, ooh, they're waking up at liver time. Oh, okay, that must mean something. I can do something with that. And yet I would say to this day, people say, oh, I wake up at two in the morning. I'm like, yes, liver time. I still have not cracked that. I mean, I wish I could say I have. I've been at this for 20 plus years. But I have failed in so many ways with helping people with their sleep. And I would say for myself, when people sleep better, it's a side effect of something else that I'm doing. But if I'm really focusing on, okay, I'm going to help this person sleep, I fail more than I succeed. Yeah. Doctor, can you help me? <laughs> I am still trying to figure it out myself. But I have to tell you, for me, it was the work of Dr. Hamid Montakab that really kind of helped me breaking down further rather than just thinking of the Chinese clock and trying to fit it within that structure or thinking this person has spleen deficiency or heart fire or heart indeficiency. His kind of system, which coincidentally or not, his book came out right around the same time when I had this thought about specializing more in sleep. I believe his book came out around the same time in 2011-ish, which you could say is a coincidence or not. It, it was beautiful. So his system really breaks it down a little more. And that has helped me kind of identify how do I help this person? You know, they have two, three different patterns. and But this person just wants to sleep. That's They don't care of priority of things that we treat mm -hmm. in Chinese medicine. They just want to sleep. And, and truthfully, if they sleep better, everything else is going to get better because they recover better. They rest and recover and restore. And his system helped me quite a bit. And yet I'm still trying to figure it out from, with, with some of my patients. How does it all work? Why is it so complicated? And sometimes we realize that we're just there for our patients to hold our space. They have their own personal journey that has nothing to do with us trying to make it happen at that moment when they showed up in our office. Why is it so complicated? Oh my God. Yes, exactly. 
Can you share with us a little bit about his work and how he breaks it down? Can you give us some ideas that we can think about beyond the usual stuff that, yeah, sometimes it doesn't help so much? I mean, it's a nice theory, but often in clinical practice, it's not as useful. So how does he think about it? Right. So first, uh, one of the most valuable things that I've learned from the Chinese clock is when people wake up somewhere between, let's say, 2.30 and 3.30, I one of the first treatments that I do is to kind of reset the internal clock. And I do that with liver 14, lung 1, that combination, plus REN12, and you can use UB2, but really I use Intang because it's just easier to needle. Mm -hmm. And that, it's fascinating how much it helps, like with just one treatment. When people tend to wake up at that time over and over again, they seem like they they can benefit from that reset, resetting the clock, right? Because it starts at 3 a.m. and it ends. And that gap, if you think about it between those points, liver 14 and lung one is larger. It's physically larger if you think about it than let's say LI4 and lung seven. Mm -hmm. And so the body needs help sometimes to make that transition. So I always keep that in mind and I use that as far as the Chinese clock comes. But as far as Dr. Hamid Montakab and, and his work, he has a book out there, which I found very, very helpful. That's how I learned this system and such. In general, he breaks it down into, is the person having trouble with achieving like quality of sleep and by quality, I mean like deeper sleep or if it's restless and such, or is the quantity, which is means that literal time would be shortened. And so if somebody is like wide awake, trying to fall asleep in the evening, then that's more the, the time has been shortened. So it's the quantity. But if somebody is also trying to fall asleep in the evening and they say they can't fall asleep, but when you ask them a little more questions, they say, well, I actually do doze a little bit. I doze off in and out, but it's not good quality. An hour has passed and they feel like they haven't slept at all when in fact they dozed off. It's not good quality. And you could say that the time has shortened, but really it's the quality of the sleep that's been affected. And so when he looks at the quality and the quantity, he goes into the extraordinary vessels. He goes into in chao, yang chao, in wei, yang wei. And because sleep is in, we particularly look at in chao and in wei. And in chao relates to that shortened time the quantity, and then in way at the quality or depth. He also talks about the depth of the sleep. Those sound like reasonable rubrics to pay attention to, quality and quantity. Yeah. I'm immediately drawn to that because, yes, I, I would say when I think about the people who come into my clinic, those are the kinds of complaints. I hadn't thought about it in that way. But now that you've clued me into it, I'll watch for it. Right. Because they, they do speak that way. And then thinking about the eight extras, well, the eight extras are such extraordinary vessels, and they're especially useful for like weird problems yeah. of excess or deficiency. Yeah. And so he takes it forward from there, which makes the system really beautiful. Wait, hang on. Before we go there, before we go there, Yes. when you're treating those, are you doing a Japanese style? With like ion pumping cords, do you do both sides, one side? I don't have a system. I think Dr. Hamid 
sometimes does one side and the other side. And But I tend to needle bilaterally and I don't use iron pumping cords. What I do want to say is that once I decide if the intra or, or in way is affected, that's when you take it forward is what I was going to say. He splits the night mm. in three parts and that's where the Zhang Fu organs fit in. So that's where it gets very specific and very, very helpful for the person to be able to diagnose. And, and I could go deeper into this, but really the book explains it beautifully. It kind of takes a while to kind of really wrap your head around what exactly he means and how he decides the order of the Zhang Fu organs. Like, okay, if it's trouble falling asleep, wide awake, in Chao, really it's the heart and the kidney, which even if you didn't know that system, I mean, how often do you see in the clinic people with heart and kidney disharmony who have trouble falling asleep, have anxiety? So mm-hmm. in a sense, we all know these things already. The system just helps you take it forward to really have the confidence and understanding how can you treat this and know that you're kind of on the right track, even if the results are not there yet, which it often happens with chronic insomnia. You do two, three treatments and maybe nothing is happening. So you start thinking, is this the right treatment? Do I just need to keep at it? Do I need to change it? So for me, that's what gave me, gave me that confidence that, okay, I've done two, three treatments. They're not seeing much improvement, but I'm confident that this is, they just need a few more treatments until they see the results. It's just the way it is. So you may not see super fast results with this. You might need to build it up a bit. So using the Zhang Fu, depending on the the time of night. So this is where we are using the clock. Yes? No, we're still using the system. And yeah, we're still using that system. No, we're still not using the clock as much. No, it's still based on those extraordinary vessels. If you think about the extraordinary vessels, they have points. Mm -hmm. Like the Yin Chao, they have points on that connect with the Zhang Fu or the channels and the organs and such. So, All right. So this is really helpful. Yeah. Because again, I've got this clock idea in my mind and I keep wanting to try to make it work and I keep failing at making it to work. So I'm eager to know more about the Zhang Fu throughout the night. What are we looking at? Right. Yeah. We just talked about heart and kidney. Yeah. What else gets involved here? Yeah, exactly. I never made the clock work for me so well, except that time when people wake up somewhere between 2.30 and 3.30 and trying to bridge that gap that might happen. Other than that, I don't. Use, I personally don't use it in my practice. I know there are different ways of using it, but that hasn't really worked for me. So maybe like it hasn't worked all that well for you either. Maybe this different system would work better. So yeah, so then it's the heart and the kidney if the quantity, let's say someone has trouble they fall asleep just fine, but then they wake up around 1 or 2 o'clock, 12.30, really a couple of hours after they've been asleep. Mm-hmm. Within this system, if they wake up and they're wide awake, kind of the perimenopausal, menopausal woman, or simply anybody waking up and they're just thinking about this and that, and they may be up for an hour or two, that's more the spleen and the lung, the tie-in. So the first one was Shaoyin, this is Tain. Mm-hmm. And of course, the liver can play a role there too, because the spleen is not like it acts by itself if the spleen is involved. But in my mind, especially when the person wakes up and they're wide awake and overthinking, I think of the spleen's inability to digest not only food, but digest thoughts in the middle of the night and ruminating and regurgitating and not being able to process information properly instead of sleeping and digesting we're awake and digesting which is not healthy not optimal 
not optimal and obviously the person doesn't feel well. And then those people tend to go back to sleep eventually. Unless it's really severe, they always go back to sleep around three or four o'clock. What about the people, and I have a number of these, Yes. exactly like this. They wake up, bang, their mind is on, bang, they're doing their to-do list, think, 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 but they're doing this like between four and five in the morning. Perfect. So that's the next one. Mm. That's, we go into the juin, we go into the liver, and I think it's, you could think, well, this is overthinking, why is it not spleen? But I think about it as stressed nervous system that in kind of a fight and f- or flight mode that says, I'm going to zonk out and sleep, but after four or five hours, we better deal with the danger. So the liver just like rises and wakes up. And those people typically don't go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. If they do, it would be around six or seven. And most of the time it's too late because they have the alarm clock. So that doesn't even count or, or sleep at night. It counts as zonking out in the morning kind of a thing. So really that's kind of the last part of the night that they're missing. Right. And it can show up for people. Sometimes it's just half an hour too early with their mind so fully engaged, like almost like pulled out of sleep and sometimes just wide awake, but they know it's too early, feels too early. So I always treat the liver and typically it's the bigger pattern is liver cheese stagnation in those cases. Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. I think about this as we're having this conversation. Because when I think of Yin, I think of liver and I think of pericardium. And pericardium, yeah. And, and I start thinking about ministerial fire as well. Yes. And so this just sounds to me like ministerial fire. It's waking up before it needs to. But it's protecting you too, in a sense. So how's it protecting if it's waking? Oh, because it's waking you up. Right. So the explanation, I like it better in like Western medicine, and but it applies to Chinese medicine. It's like, well, it's not Western medicine really. It's just primal kind of need. It's like the minimum amount of sleep that you need to survive, not thrive, but survive is about four or five hours. Anything beyond that, it's like the cherry at the top of the cake. Mm-hmm. And so if you're dealing with a danger, it doesn't matter if it's you being worried about kids or about work or about money. It doesn't matter it's not a lion or some kind of wild animal. The body says you got to wake up and you got to deal with the problem. You got just enough sleep to function. The rest is 
So in a sense, as the pericardium protecting the heart, saying there is a problem, you got just enough sleep to have enough strength, wake up and deal with it. Wake up and get back to it. Exactly. And don't be relaxed for a couple more hours because that could mean the death of you or something, you know? Ongoing stress. Yeah, this slow lion that's at the door. Yeah, I've experienced this numerous times and I've heard it so many times for patients. So for me, the way it shows up is if I stay up too late in the evening, I push myself to finish a project and I don't have trouble falling asleep, but I can feel my body kind of like. So I typically zonk out because that's never been my problem, trouble falling asleep. But then I go to sleep a little later and instead of waking up later because I worked myself so hard, instead I wake up too early earlier than usual. As a teenager, that would never happen. You stay up late and then you sleep in in the morning. But as an adult that has gone through some problems and has had to deal with life, that is different. And people get so frustrated. They say, well, why can't I just sleep in? Because I stayed up to finish this project. I'm like, it doesn't work like that. Like, you can't trade and think I'll just cheat in the evening and push to make this project and not sleep in. Not with everyone, but the people that I work with, they say that backfires there in the morning. That totally makes sense. I am so jealous of teenagers. <laughs> oh my God, we got a teenager here. That kid can sleep? Like, just sleep. Oh man. It's like my role model. But I'm more like that Dre Yin character that you just talked about. I get just enough. I wake up 4.30-ish. And sometimes I'll go do a little bit of email because there's like, oh yeah, that one thing. <laughs> And I go do a couple things. My nervous system settles back down. I go back to sleep. Yeah. It's a really bad habit. It's like really ingrained. It's a bad habit, but it fits that pattern. This is really helpful. I've been trying to crack this thing. Yeah. It fits that pattern. So that's the main one that shows up with people that wake up early. Mm -hmm. But then there is where the clock comes back in. It's the people that have apneas early in the morning. Those people... I would say I clearly see how, well, I don't know. It's kind of complicated if you think about it. So people with sleep apnea, mm -hmm. they may have a little bit of interrupted breathing throughout the night. But what I've seen from research and also from my patients is that around 2, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., it gets worse. And typically they have light sleep or they can't go back to sleep because the apneas get worse and the nervous system gets hyper, it gets activated. Mm -hmm. Like we were just talking about. And so the question is, is it because it's the long time and it's a weakness? Or is it because the nervous system gets so activated and the cortisol is rushing through the veins? Or it's both. That mm -hmm. makes me think of the lungs. As it steps into that time, it can't, it can't, it can't deal with the stress. So I'm going back to that clock, the long time between three and five, but it could fit both possibilities. But that's one that happens for people. And then sometimes they're not even aware that they're not breathing. Many of my patients were not previously. They thought they were fine, but it was the apnea episode. And that makes sense too. If the physical structure is on high alert because I can't really breathe or I might stop breathing or there's an issue with my breath, but the conscious mind is not aware of it and paying attention to it then I could see how that Dreyan level like you were just talking about, sympathetic nervous system, it's kicking in, that vigilance, that protective ministerial fire. Mm -hmm. And it won't let you sleep because you might stop breathing. Yeah. I got a couple questions about sleep apnea. Yes. And I'm going to ask them of you in a moment. But before I do, 
I want to hear some more about treating this 4 a.m. to 5 a.m. Drayen pattern. Do you have herbs that you like to use for this? Are there particular acupuncture points that you find to be helpful? I have been using so much acupuncture over the last uh, few years, more so than the herbs, but Herbs definitely look at the pattern. Is it liver chi stagnation? Does it have more heat? Does it have some indeficiency? Mm-hmm. You just have to look that. As far as the treatment with acupuncture goes, oh, we use that opening point for the in chow because this is still shortened period of time. So I always use kidney six. Mm-hmm. I typically use lung seven paired with it, but not always actually. Japanese acupuncture, I guess we always pair it and such, but I don't always, but I, I typically do for this particular time. And then I go simple. I mean, if it's, they have a little bit of heat with the liver tree stagnation, I use one of the liver two or three, typically liver three. And then I almost always use liver eight. I love liver eight and GB34. So we're going back to the same points. And I do a lot of uh, teaching people what I just explained. When it makes sense for people, then one of the things that I tell them to do is to make lists the night before. So then when they wake up in the morning and those emails or thoughts pop in, you can immediately tell your mind, it's not morning yet. I'm not going to deal with that. It's on that piece of paper. I'll deal with it when I wake up. Secondarily, many of the people that wake up early, they don't put an alarm clock because they say, well, I wake up anyways. And I say, no, put the alarm clock on and then don't watch the clock. If the alarm clock hasn't gone off, it's not time to wake up. It's simple as that. And then the third thing is to listen to something, uh, either a guided meditation or even a talk, as long as it's kind of quiet and just focus on resting in that those early morning, like feel the bed, the warmth, the safety, the quietness. And so we have to do that just enough weeks in combination with acupuncture and herbs until the body learns that it's okay, you're okay. But if you keep feeding into that and you, you wake up and you do the emails or and all of that, the body says, okay, there is a problem. He wakes up, the body and all of that. In a sense, you, you don't mean to, but you're reinforcing the problem. So we have to teach it otherwise by these little tricks and in addition to the acupuncture and the herbs. I really appreciate your perspective on this. We're just using very basic Chinese medicine thought. Oh, there's an issue with the yin chow. Okay, we'll just open that up. Oh, there's some heat. Okay, we'll use these points for heat. Oh, we might need to nourish the blood a bit. Okay, liver eight. Fabulous for that. There's no rocket science here. There's nothing tricky. There's really no secrets. It sounds like we're taking all the basics that we all already know about we're just calibrating it into, we're focusing it into how we're helping people with their sleep. This is very helpful to me, thinking about the different organs and their pairings going through the night, the tie-in, the jian, the xiaoyin, because it makes sense that we'd be looking at yin during nighttime and focusing on it that way. That just makes an incredible amount of sense I feel like you've just given me a whole new rubric that I can look through in terms of working with people. And with that kind of a a very basic framework, probably figure some stuff out on my own. Yeah, and the young can be involved as well. That's where we do more of the draining and such, but I feel like less so. In the book that Dr. Hamid wrote, he also 
I focus these days so much on like hearing what the person said and making a quick decision in my head because I've been using his system since 2012. So obviously it's a fair amount of time, nine years. But he also could palpate the chic left mm. of the in Chao, Yang Chao, In Wei and Yang Wei. Like to say this kind of, <laughs> I hope Dr. Hamid doesn't listen and it's okay if he does. <laughs> but like I just, lately I gotten out of the habit of like palpating people. Sometimes I go back to it because I heard the same stories over and over again. Good, it's a good practice to understand how to use those chic left and use them because sometimes you find nuts, sometimes you f they're painful, sometimes you find like th there is a dip in there. But through the years that I did a lot of uh, palpating those points, I found out that either the knot, the weak, the kind of like the dip or the softness in that point or the like the pain or tenderness, I mostly find it on the 75%, 80%, it's on the in chic left, not the young. So kind of goes along with what we said. And sometimes what people feel and the symptoms that show up is different sometimes. That's where the trick is like, okay, do you follow what the body says or do you listen to the patient? And I can't remember, I, again, lately not doing the palpation all that much, but I think in that moment, you just kind of go with the intuition. And if that was not right next time, you try to do it differently. Yeah, it's so helpful to be able to have a skill like palpation. Yes. Where we can go directly to the body. Yeah. See what the body has to say. Yeah. The thing that's interesting, and I love hearing you say this, that you used to palpate a lot, now you don't do it so much. I find in time, when I'm working with like a particular system or a particular method, that in the beginning, I have to follow it very closely. Mm -hmm. Because I have to learn how it works and how I work with it. And just like how to think and be and move within that modality. And then after a while, you start hearing things or you notice things or like someone walks in, they, you're with them for three minutes. It's like unless they say something in the next five minutes that completely negates everything I'm thinking, I'm going to do what I'm thinking. Yeah, that's exactly. At the beginning, you followed closely, then you get your own experience of mm -hmm. doing it, and you might still follow it. And then you just go this way and that way. And it's beautiful because it means that you also kind of relax into it. Yes. And that's very important. I was not relaxed at the beginning because I think some of the people that I've talked to when they read the book, sometimes it felt very different and kind of heady. And it is. I remember Dr. Hamid once said, it's almost like a mental exercise at the beginning, trying to put it all together. And it is at the beginning. Once I used to have a chart and carry it with me on the treatment table because like a one, because I couldn't like, I couldn't remember like, wait a minute, is that there? What does it mean? What did he just say? <laughs> just that took a couple of years out of my practice. And then you just memorize it and it becomes like second nature. You, you hear them say things. and Yes. At a certain point, it becomes such a part of your experience. You're not thinking about it. You're simply doing it. Yeah. And I think at that point, we can take shortcuts because we're already paying attention to things. But shortcuts in the beginning are usually not a good idea. No, you got to pay attention and yeah. see what works, get comfortable with it, uh, make it your own. Exactly. Okay, I want to come back to sleep apnea for a moment. Sure. I can't believe it. After all these years, I just found out that there's two kinds of sleep apnea. Yeah. I just found out. This is so embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, we're not taught in school or anything. It's kind of like either exposed to it or not. 
So there's like the regular obstructive sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. And then there's this thing called central sleep apnea. And it has something to do with how the brain works. Yeah, the obstructive, it's what it says. It basically, you either have a narrow pathway or the tissues around your neck are inflamed or you've gained weight or the muscles are getting weaker and then the tongue collapses in the back of the throat, kind of like what it happens with the estrogen dropping at menopause. And so that's about 90, I believe around 90, 91% of the cases of obstructive sleep apnea. So basically as you sleep the tongue and the kind of the, airway pathways just sort of close or the tongue falls in the back of the throat, especially when we're face uh, sleeping um, on our backs. And then the central sleep apnea, the brain basically just doesn't do its job telling our body to breathe, our lungs to breathe, and it stops for a few seconds here and there. And then the nervous system realizes, oh, this is a problem. And thankfully, at some point, it says, okay, breathe now. And that's when we gasp for air. If it's that bad, we can gasp for air in both cases. Yes. So have you got some ways of working with these two types of sleep apnea? Yeah. So to go back to the system that I just talked about, uh, when we typically, for most people, not everyone, sleep apnea fits more into the sleep quality being affected because most people are not fully awake. They do sometimes in the morning, but before that is kind of in and out. So the quality of the sleep. So that's first is more an in-way problem. So I often use pericardium six, often combined with spleen four, and that's a good combination. But beyond that, when it comes to obstructive sleep apnea, I often use points around the neck. Um, I use REN23 kind of needling towards the root of the tongue and to strengthen the tongue muscle, basically. So you've got to look it up and make sure you're needling correctly. I've never hurt anyone in all these years. I bruised one person one time. And so it's not even that easy to bruise someone or that way. So that's the most side effect I've ever had. When you approach a person and say, I'm, you, you let them know, I'm going to do, you don't need to move because they don't, but... Mm-hmm let them know that you're about to put a point around their neck because a lot of people like they don't want their necks to be touched. Some people are very protective of their necks, probably a primal kind of a reaction, don't get near my neck kind of a thing. So I use REN23 quite a bit. And then I use a combination of stomach 9, LI18, all these front points, also lung 1, lung 2, REN17. And I just usually kind of rotate them. Like one week I might use the stomach nine, the other week I use LI18 and so on. So those are kind of the points that I use no matter what the pattern is. And as far as central sleep apnea, I work with the same kind of points around the neck, but the back ones, like UB10, GB20, all of those back points. And in general, we're working with the window of the sky points. So the university in Brazil did a couple of studies around sleep apnea, actually, and they said that working with acupuncture, not only the local points, but whatever pattern the patient has, they said that, I think it was just four sessions, they said the tongue muscle strength increased by 50%. So you can look that up there. They did a couple of studies because CPAP machines are expensive. They're expensive here too, but kind of not as available in Brazil as they are in the United States where... Usually they're paid by insurance. So that's why they were interested at the Dental School of Medicine to do this study. That's an extraordinary number. 
in terms of, of improvement of uh, muscle tone. Yeah. Do you have access to that study or do you know where we could find it? I think it's online if you put something, School of Brazil, Dental Medicine, Brazil. I can look it up and send it to you or just tongue muscle, acupuncture. I bet it comes up in Google. Yeah, send it over and I will put it on the show notes page. So yeah. all y'all is listening right now can just pop over to the website and check that out if you're interested. Yeah. So when it comes to sleep apnea, we have as far as the severity goes and how you talk to your patients there, there is mild, moderate, and severe. And so when people come to me, they ask me to use the word cure sometimes, or can you treat this and such? And I say, I can help you, especially if it's mild, but I always encourage people that they follow up with their medical doctor and they follow up with their medical doctor and... If it's uh, moderate to severe, I always encourage people to use either the CPAP machine that is typically prescribed or some patients use the mandibular device. So it's usually a combination of acupuncture. You know, you don't want to promise anyone any kind of miracle cure or anything like that because the truth is it can help quite a bit for some people and for some it only helps partially. But it's it can be very stressful to the body to not breathe well. So I always encourage people to make sure that they get it improved one way or another. And if, let's say, they have a CPAP machine that's older, that doesn't measure how many episodes of apnea they have per night, or maybe they have a mandibular device that it never measures anything because it's just a device that they put in their mouth that pulls their jaw forward. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, for about $150, there are these continuous oxygen monitors that anyone can buy online. And you put it, it's usually either on your wrist or on your finger, and it measures the oxygen throughout the night continuously. So then you know, did my oxygen saturation drop and how many times and how low? And so it's very, very important for the person to know exactly what's happening and to evaluate if what they're doing is working. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. So for $150, you can get a device that will measure, continuously measure yes. your oxygen levels and you can see when it's fallen off Yes, and for how long it's fallen off. Yes. And some of them, even if you set them, they'll vibrate and wake you up. It's a good thing and also not a good thing because it's very stressful for the person. So really what you want to do is get the information and try to figure out how you can 
solve it and such. Sometimes some of my new patients, they don't want to go through the process of doing a sleep study, especially if they're not sure sleep apnea is a problem. So I often tell them, just go get that device. It's not a sleep study per se, but it's a pretty good device to get an idea. And then getting more information there, then I can say, okay, you really need to get that sleep study and get the right information. So it's been very, very helpful. It seems to me for $150, it's a great way to monitor and track how you're doing with that. Yes, definitely. And again, some of the CPAP machines already do that for the patient, but not all of them. And again, even if somebody does acupuncture, they want to see, is it getting better? They could be wearing that and and see what's happening. Exactly. And I'm thinking of people that are not using a CPAP. Maybe they're at the very beginning of trying to get this problem worked out. Yeah. They're actually trying to avoid a CPAP. They're maybe even trying to avoid a sleep study. Yeah. Some people are happy to go to the doctor and get a diagnosis and get treatment. And some people want to avoid it as long as they can. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing with the sleep study is that it's done over one or two nights maximum. The one that sometimes they let, let, they give you the device for two nights, but some people are anxious. They can't settle. And maybe sometimes the information is not very accurate. So then this device, you can just wear it every night for a few weeks and see exactly what happens. So that's the benefit of that too. I've always wondered about sleep studies a little bit. Patient will tell me, yeah, I went to the sleep center and I slept and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, man, if I was in a sleep center, I am not going to be sleeping well. Yeah. If I'm not in my bed, number one, like when I'm traveling, it often takes a night or two to adjust to a place. The idea that I'm hooked up to something and someone's watching me, how could you possibly get a really good night's sleep? Yeah, that's very true. And also, I believe, I'm pretty sure that in the last few years, all of the initial sleep studies are going to be done at home. It's only sometimes for follow-up ones, if the doctors really want to get more accurate information and, and extra information, they will do the one in the lab. Right now, the way the insurance companies work and all of that, they really just pay for the one at home to begin with. And it's more limited, It just, but it's, it's what you need. Because if you think about it, when you do a sleep study, it's really just to identify if you have sleep apnea. And then the ones that you do in the lab, it will give you more information about periodic limb movement and such. So, so this central sleep apnea, you're saying work on points back of the head. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I would think if it's the central nervous system that is having the issue, brainstem is not a bad place to go. Yes. Window of the sky points. That doesn't sound like a bad place to go. Yeah. The people that typically have central sleep apnea, they don't just have central sleep apnea. It's typically combined with obstructive sleep apnea. It's a combination of the two. So a lot of people just have obstructive, and then the people that have central, almost all of them also have obstructive. It's a combination. And also, a lot of these people, at least my patients, they seem to all have congestion in the nasal cavities and allergies and all of that. That seems to be very, very common and very important to solve because it, I think it feeds into this negative loop with like, the nasal area is congested, you can't breathe well, somehow it communicates something with the brain and then the lungs. And there is something to that. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what's happening. But what I do know for sure is that working on resolving that congestion, either with direct points around the nose, but also working with the environmental allergies, but in my opinion, is working with the gut a lot. 
with a digestion because, you know, from the nose to the anus is just one tube and it's related. If typically you have environmental allergies, there is something else going on with the gut too. It's not just the environmental allergies and the inflammation in the nasal passageways. So when you're talking the gut, are you referring to people who maybe have Crohn's or IBS or SIBO or any of the vast number of digestive issues that people have, maybe even food sensitivities? Tell us more about how the gut is involved and what you do about that. Yeah, I feel like one of the main sleep, it doesn't matter if it's insomnia, sleep apnea, one of the main issues that I see it's gut inflammation. And some of my patients are not even completely aware of that. Some of them, it's obvious that they have gut issues because of their symptoms or their diagnosis. And some of them, it's milder that they're not super aware about it. But yeah, it could be a number of things. For example, it could be some kind of stomach indeficiency or stomach heat or fire. And the way we think about that is low stomach acid. Then then they have low stomach acid, the sphincter above the stomach doesn't close properly. Then there is a little bit of acid spilling into the esophagus that could exacerbate the inflammation in the nasal passages. And that could contribute to the apnea as well, because just, again, we don't want those tissues to be inflamed because then inflammation increases the size and then there is less space for you to breathe at night. Then if you have low stomach acid, which I feel like it's so common for a lot of people because of chronic stress, it takes a lot of energy to produce that acidic environment. And also because of poor diet, then yes, like you said, we have more SIBO. Everything happens then differently downstream or bacterial overgrowth in the colon. Then if the right bacteria and the ratio is not quite right, then the serotonin is lower. So with a lot of people, I see spleen chi deficiency from the Chinese medicine perspective, but they don't have like very obvious symptoms. Let's say the main symptom is they wake up, they have overthinking, ruminating, they're stressed. Do you ask them, are you bloated? They're like, eh, maybe a little bit, not really. Only when I eat beans. And so that's not very helpful, right? So it's not always that obvious, but like if the tongue is pale and is swollen and there are no other symptoms besides the overthinking and the insomnia, like I never doubt it. That's enough for me uh, from the Chinese medicine perspective. Then I do a stool test more from the functional medicine perspective. Yes, <laughs> it's all there. It's probably hard to find a person where you can't find something that you can work on if you do a stool test for a person. So digestion is really, really big. And then you just use your basic Chinese medicine tools, yeah. whichever ones you happen to like to use to work on the digestion, and then that will help out the sleep. Yeah, definitely. And, and I don't know if I am the one that's guilty of trying to get people fast better, like wanting to them to be on herbs only for a month and a half or two months because I don't want them. This is my own story that I've had, I guess, for many years. So, but maybe someone would resonate with this. Like, don't be afraid to tell them like, okay, I think it's possible that you're going to have to be on herbs for months and explain why and how it builds gradual. They're gentle, but also it needs time in order to maintain that new balance. Well, I'm kind of like you. I want to help my patients better as quickly as possible so I can get rid of them because I just want them to get on with their life. Sometimes we can work in a way that is quick, that it goes quite quick. It's satisfying as a practitioner, at least for me, because I feel like I'm competent and I'm helpful. I like feeling like I'm helpful. I also get it 
that with certain things, so sleep, as you pointed out earlier, it's easy to get yourself into a habituated state and then the body follows that habituated state. So in some ways you need to train yourself out of it. Okay, that's going to take some time. Mm -hmm. So you're going to need some ongoing treatment for a period of time. You might need herbs for a while. We see this with women's health all the time. I don't think anybody has any problem at all if someone's trying to get pregnant or if they've had bad periods. You're going to be on these herbs. You're probably going to be on them for quite a few months, and then you'll be taking less of them as time goes on. Anything chronic, I think, makes a lot of sense that it's going to take some time to turn it around. For sure. And then it also changes, you know, how it is. It's You go from one pattern to another. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is better, but then this one, it's different now. So you have to change it. And I sometimes think like part of me wishing people would get better faster and, and such, but then realizing like it is what it is. This is their pace. And maybe it's not necessarily that they're coming back because there is a relationship. They're heard. We guide them through other things, we remind them to take care of themselves, and we all need that. I need that. That's why I get acupuncture. I need to hear it from someone else. I need to be reminded to slow down or be forgiving towards myself, or it's okay some days to just be really lazy, and I think our patients need to be told, and that's why it's good when they come back, and it's okay that it takes a while. I've had this relationship with myself of like feeling like a fraud and I'm not good enough and, and trying to push myself constantly. Like if I just get them better faster, it means I'm good enough of a practitioner. Yes, I think you are not alone. A lot of us are looking for confirmation that we know what we're doing. We're looking for confirmation that we're decent practitioners. We're looking for confirmation that we're okay. And the way that we get it is our patients getting better sooner. This is a horrible burden to put on a patient. Yes, on the patient. Yes. It's an awful burden to put on a patient. Yeah. It's a bad burden to put on ourselves. And I suspect it is something that most of us probably struggle with. It's something that we have to grow through over time. Take that pressure off the patient. Recognize, like you said, there is a pace and a process to how people get better. And they've all got their own way of doing it. It's our job to follow them. It's our job to support them. And it's our job to keep our own shit out of it. Yes, I totally agree with that. Throughout my years of practice, I can't came out. I tried to categorize the type of insomniacs. And there is a type of insomniac that I call the depleted type mm -hmm. that takes much longer than any of the other types. I kind of came up with five types. And this depleted time type usually shows up later in life. And it may not truly fully solved because it's the depletion has been going on for so long and also as we age it's like you can't be 20 anymore so yes that's probably going to be their tendency like maybe they will never sleep quite as they used to but what i did over the years i kept trying to think okay if i do this if i do that and then one day i realized okay this is it is what it is and i realized what you just said that I put that burden unfairly on my patients and the pressure I consciously or subconsciously, I don't know, I hope not so much consciously. And I wrote this in my book that I've written last year that's going to come out in sometimes in the next few months. I actually have a paragraph about that, about trying to leave my stuff out of it and not putting that on my patient. I think it's part of the seasoning that all practitioners go through. It's a terrible and wonderful moment 
when we recognize that that's what we've been doing. Oh my God, I've been doing this. You know, it's, it, I mean, it makes you feel awful. Mm-hmm. But once you've noticed it, it's easier to catch it the next time it starts to happen. Yeah. And then the next time it happens, it's like, <laughs> there you go again. Mm-hmm. And over time, I think we can work our way out of that. But it does take some time. Your comments here about the depleted type patient, well, that just makes all the sense in the world. If somebody is without resources, not only is their sleep not going to go well and maybe never go all that well again, their digestion probably isn't so great, their strength, their balance, their mental acuity, there's all kinds of things that would also be affected when you're just out of resources. Yeah, the depleted type is kind of, the overtaxed type is kind of like the liver, that's a different time, that's kind of the liver cheese stagnation that wakes up early that we talked about. The depleted type shows up a little differently, a little similarly in my experience. They also wake up early, but it's a very different attitude. It's like they're older people. It's been going on for a long time. They just kind of wake up and they're like resigned. This is what it is. They don't even feel like that exhausted as they should be the next day. It's just, it's almost like they don't, they just don't have enough in. They don't have, if you think about enough neurotransmitters, enough hormones, enough, let's say omega-3, all the in, all the oils, all the like goods. Like I know it sounds bad, but like we basically dry up as we die, if you think about it as we So it's like those beautiful substances in our body get depleted. And thankfully, Nowadays, we have the acupuncture and the herbs, and also we have more the supplements part. And that's where I feel like a little bit sometimes it can be really helpful to, I don't know, fish oil or whatever it is that's really helpful to add those larger quantities of those kind of nutrients a little bit to help the person thrive, even their 80s and 90s, when otherwise probably would be kind of harder to do that unless we have an excellent diet and really nourishing, beautiful diet that sometimes some of us don't, even if we have the best intentions. So the depleted type wakes up early in the morning and is just kind of resigned. They're not even that tired. They're not even all that upset about it, but they just know something. It's kind of the older people, you know, and they say that they wake up early and they don't know why. You ask them, are you tired? They're like, "Eh, kind of, but they do maybe take a nap if they allow themselves in the afternoon. The overtax type, which is more the liver cheese stagnation, they tend to be agitated, like, I got to do this, I got to do that. And sometimes they're just like plain angry. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I waking up so early again? No reason to wake up. And yet I do. Yes. What are the other three? The other three are overthinking, kind of very like digestion and spleen and stomach and all of that. And then the anxious type, very much so the heart and the kidneys from the Chinese medicine perspective. And then the overburden type. The overburden type, it's kind of marked like the there is a burden, <laughs> the toxic type, kind of like the new time. I mean, in the past, maybe people were exposed to mold or heavy metals and all of that. And we have the same things nowadays. So it's more like something it's so aggravating to their system. It's more like a toxin. Maybe it's damp heat. That's like so much of it. Again, that could come from an environment um, in your home or something that people like living by a golf course with lots of pesticides and just give you kind of random examples or it could be plain sleep apnea that's like really aggravating the nervous system very strongly so some of them kind of connect to chinese medicine in my mind they all do but also it was my way of categorizing so it makes sense to lay people these categorizations are helpful 
again, we began this conversation, I was thinking about the Chinese clock, which is often helpful in certain situations. But again, when it came to sleep, I failed at that a lot. I really appreciate your suggestion to look at that entry or exit entry treatment where, you know, the liver 14 to the lung one to reset the clock. Um, I can't wait to try that. Yeah, and, and that's to add to that for jet lag or like just people traveling, coming back from somewhere or shift work, that's also a good combination. And like for patients who do shift works, it's a constant problem. I use that almost at every treatment to try to help the body. And I feel like it's been really helpful. Great. I'm going to have plenty of opportunity to work with that. This will be wonderful. I feel like I've learned a couple of things today. I thank you so much for your time. I Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy being with you here. Yeah. Any final thoughts that you would like to share with folks before we wind this down? Well, I guess my recommendation is to buy Dr. Hamid's book because there is great information there. And as far as patients go, is always reminding them when they're trying to fall asleep or going back to sleep, it's to focus on resting rather than sleeping because you just can't make yourself sleep. But when we focus on resting, it kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off. And I know also that for some of the patients who don't sleep well, they're really worried about dementia and what it does to their bodies. And, and again, it's not helpful. I tell them if you're actively doing something for your sleep, it's not like you're sitting around and not doing anything. Obviously, they're in your office or it's good. Like, don't worry about what's going to do to you. Like, it's just adding more stress. Try to let go because we don't know. It may affect your brain in that way. It may not. We don't know. So let's just drop it as long as you actively do something about it. Too much damn clickbait out there saying, if you don't sleep well, you're going to get dementia here. You better buy this. Yeah. And this is probably aimed at also people that don't prioritize sleep. There are plenty of those people that push themselves to work a lot of hours, 80 hours or whatever, and they don't think sleep is all that important. That's a wonderful thing. But for our patients, or at least my patients, a lot of them, none of them are not sleeping because they don't want to. They want to, but they can't. So there is value in that for some people to be reminded, but not for our patients who want to sleep so desperately. Right. And you said you have a book that'll be coming out soon. Do you know what the publishing date is? I don't know because I'm trying to see if I'm going to make a couple of changes. So I am really hopeful that is going to happen at the very latest by the end of this year, but hopefully in the fall. I think it's going to be self-published, but publishing company does have my manuscript right now and they're taking a look at it. So that's a possibility. The name of the book is Insomnia Resolved and it, the subtitle is Understanding and Healing the Five Types of Insomnia and I'm really excited about it. Just there is no deadline to it. So I'm trying to figure out if I want to simplify a little bit, make more graphs and charts. So it could be a few months, hopefully by fall of 2021 or at the latest by the end of 2021. Wonderful. I always appreciate it when practitioners like you have gone deeply into something and then take their time and take their effort because writing a book is not easy. And to... Uh, take what you got and share it with us. It's uh, always so appreciated. Where can people find you on the internet if they're looking for you? Yeah, at damianakorka.com, D-A-M-I-A-N-A-C-O-R-C-A.com. I 
actually, as we speak in the next couple of days, I'll put up a quiz actually for like if someone who's listening, they want to see which type they are or if a patient is curious and then some ideas on how to treat it. So that should be up soon and it should be pretty obvious probably on the homepage that I'm going to have that quiz. And I see patients in Boulder, Colorado, but I also do telehealth and consulting if anyone is interested and whenever the book is going to be out, no matter if it's self-published or through a publishing company, I'm, I am going to have it on Amazon and I plan to have it on Audible just because great idea, you know, sleep deprived people, that's going to be harder, <laughs> easier for them to. Oh, it, it's so wonderful having books read to you. I love Audible. Yeah, exactly. So, well, I'll make sure all that information's on the show notes page again. Thank you so much for this conversation today. I can't wait to try this stuff out. Thank you so much. One of the things that I appreciate about East Asian medicine and one of the things that I find is so reliable about it is that there is a set of principles that underlie so many different techniques and so many different ways of working. In today's conversation with Damiana, there are a few things that she had to say in terms of looking at the cycle of sleep through the night, like the three Zong relationships, the lung and the spleen, the kidney, and the heart, the liver, and the pericardium, and how each of these might have something to do with a certain kind of sleep issue at a certain time of night. And it gives us a way that we can take everything else that we know about how our medicine works and bring it to bear in this situation with this way of focusing our attention. This, to me, is one of the most amazing things about East Asian medicine, that there, again, there's this set of principles, but how the medicine works and how we use it depends on the lens that we are focusing it through. It's not so much that there is a right or wrong way of doing things, but more that there are useful or less useful ways of taking the principles and then bringing it to bear on a situation ways of taking our attention and learning to see how the principles are unfolding in somebody's life, both in terms of their health and in terms of the difficulties that they're having. So I hope that you have found this conversation with her to be useful. I know that I have, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing how I can apply what I've learned today, both in my clinic and in my own sleep. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.